Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. You guys didn't need an extra hour of sleep last night. You think you did, but I'm telling you, that Teddy, their singing was amazing. Wasn't that good? Oh, I almost asked you to stay back up here, but I got something to say. Man, that oh, praise him. That, wow. Praise the Lord. We're going to praise him here for the next, I'm not going to tell you how long, uh, however long I'm going to be up here. So whatever that looks like, you're the 11 o'clock service, so we just, you know, lock the doors. Just kidding. It's against the fire code. Okay. So last weekend, we began a four-part series uh, called Living in the Last Days. And Pastor Vance preached an awesome message, uh, just giving us the definition of what the last hour was. If you were here, you remember what that was. I'm going to fill you back in so we can all be on the same page here in a second. But we're basically talking about the end times discussion that that John talks about here in these few verses that we're going to read today. Um, Amazing verses, uh, just about what it's going to be like or what it is like. Uh, in the last hour or in these end times. He began by pointing out that every generation since the time of Jesus has thought they were in the, at the very end. Amen? Now we're all, we've been in the, we're in the last hour, we've been in the last hour, but every generation said Jesus is definitely coming back in my generation. I'm not going to die, I'm just going to fly away and there's not going to be any death for me. But we, they, listen, people have been saying that for 2,000 years. Jesus is definitely coming back. That's the place for the Amen. We're just not sure when that is. He also said that in the room, there were two different kinds of people, and he actually described them better than I'm going to, but I'm going to kind of give you the definition of what, he, or, or, or what those people were. He said there are either those who are obsessed with the end times or those who could care less about the end times, and everybody else just kind of falls in between, right? There are those that got the charts and the graphs, and they can't hear enough of, of, of their favorite um, revelation preacher, and then there are those who say, do we have to talk about that ever, right? But all of us fall somewhere in that. And I think it's important that we don't place too much emphasis on this as in going crazy because it's true like every other thing in the Scripture is true. But I also think it's important for us not to place a low value on it either. Both are dangerous. Um, so as we look at the Word today in these verses that I'm going to read here in just a second... A lot of people, when they hear the word last days or last time or end times or last hour, it's very easy for us to become, oh, I don't know, anxious, um, concerned, maybe even scared to a point of what that might look like or what it could look like. But as Colin Cruz points out in his commentary of these verses, these nine or ten verses that I'm, that I'm going to read here, um, these people didn't, hadn't really thought about what that last hour looked like either. Here's what he said. He said, 
He noted in his commentary that up to this point in the letter, John is both encouraged and exhorted the believers. And if you read down to verse 18, actually verse 17 in chapter 2, you'll see lots of encouragement. You'll see lots of exhortation. But when he starts in this next uh, uh, few verses in verse 18 and verse 19, he actually begins with a warning. Now that was Tennessee lingo, warning. Does anybody have a question of what I said? A warning. He is warning his readers about something that was going on. And probably the whole reason for this letter is because they had told him of a situation that had happened that we're going to look at here. That he was warning them that, listen, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you, but at the same time, you need to know some things. And as the church of Christ today, as the church of God today that we are here at Hope, there's some things that we need to be apprised of as well. Not just about the last hour, but of the antichrists, the spirit of the antichrists that are also in this last hour period. So last week, Pastor Vance actually covered two different questions that I'm going to go back and grab today so that we can be on the same page. The first question he talked about last week was, what is the last hour? And I'm going to define it for you very simply like he did. He said it is the end of of life as we know it on earth, but it's also the beginning of life in eternity. I mean, that's simple and Granted, there's a lot more we could say about it, but the truth is is that, that the last hour is the end of life as we know it, but the beginning of life in eternity, okay? So that's the last hour. We're in it. People have been in it. Everybody's been in it for the last 2,000 years. Danny Aiken wrote this. He said, the phrase the last hour signifies the entire period of time between the first and second comings of Christ. It has been the last hour since the Son of God invaded the evil one's domain and dealt him a death blow in the cross and resurrection. The ending of that final hour, however, is unknown. So we are in the last hour. It's not a minute, an hour, a day. It's, it's a time period that has lasted over these last 2,000 years. So that's what the last hour is. We're currently living through it, but we have no idea when it's going to be over. Make sense? Okay, so we got our head wrapped around. Question number two he answered last week. What is the Antichrist? He gave us two aspects of how we should see the Antichrist. The first one was the person of the Antichrist, capital A, if you will. The one who is either the opponent or adversary of Christ or the one who seeks to put himself in the place of Christ. In fact, this is the Antichrist. When you think of Antichrist, you think of one person who's going to come at one place in time who is going to be loved by everybody pretty much, right? Like that one person. That's not who he's talking about here. He's talking about the second aspect, which is the spirit of the Antichrist. These people exhibit what the Antichrist himself will exhibit in thought, behavior, teaching when he does appear. Here's how Vance said it last week. He said, wherever you see anyone or anything, listen to this, diminishing who Jesus is, 100% God in the flesh, or what Jesus has done, death, burial, and resurrection, you are witnessing the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist dumbs down the truth and the sufficiency of Jesus himself. There have been the spirit of the Antichrist since Jesus was here. For the last 2,000 years, Bob. The spirit of the Antichrist, though the Antichrist himself has not shown himself, the spirit with which he lives and who he is, is here. That's all right. You ain't got to say amen. I just want you to get it. (laughs) Sometimes we can read the Bible and think we're talking about another time period, right? 
today. Some context just before I read these verses that I want to give you about this book and the reason for the writing of this letter. This letter was written to a church that John had started himself, more than likely, probably. Most uh, commentators agree on this, most theologians, that John kind of did his missionary thing, won some people to Christ, and then started a church, and that church are these people. John didn't live with them anymore. He didn't he didn't go to this church like on a weekly basis, but it was a church that he was closely affiliated with. That's why he said children. He says it over and over and over, right? They were his kids in the faith, if you will. So it's written to a church that he started himself. Second thing I want you to know is he was writing to encourage a discouraged group of Jesus followers. He was writing them because they were discouraged. They had told him about some things that were going on in the church. And he could tell by the way that they were writing and the things that they said that he needed to say some extra things to them. That there were some things they needed to know that they didn't know. Maybe they needed to be, some, some things that they had learned needed to be reinforced. Well, what were they discouraged about? That's what today's sermon's about. I'm going to give you three characteristics of this Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, that was the whole reason for their discouragement. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 19 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 through 27. Here's what John wrote to the people in that church. He said, they went out from us, but, that's a, in English, that's a, that's a word that is a uh, contrasting word. It means whatever's before and whatever's after are opposite, okay? They're different. They contrast each other. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. It's like he's writing a song here. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. and You all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you, will also, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need of anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. You know what John's telling us in these verses? There were people in the church who had the spirit of the Antichrist. There were people in the church who weren't followers of Jesus. Who said they were. And you look at this and you say, that is so sad for a church. I'm glad I didn't go to that church. Listen, every church has this. I said at the end of my sermon, I'm not going to wait to the end this time. 
If there are none, this might not be a church. We aren't a church if there isn't. The devil knows. Is anybody with me? The evil one knows what the truth is. He is looking to stop it in any way, shape, or form. And he will do it through any human being that will allow it. When they became wise, they became his fools. And I'm telling you, the smarter we get, the dumber we are. The gospel hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's the same. It doesn't need something added to it. And there's no reason to take anything away from it without changing it. It's true. What happened then is still effectual today for us. It's the gospel of Jesus. So here, I want to give you the three characteristics. That wasn't even in the notes. So here we go. Okay, three characteristics of the spirit of the Antichrist. I just wanted to say it. Spirit jumped on me. Okay. Amen. We don't want that to happen too much. Sometimes it's not the spirit, it's just Tom. Okay, so we got to... All right. Number one, here's the first characteristic. In the last days, there are those who desert the church. In verses 19 through 21, that's what we see. John tells those who are still in the church, those with the spirit of the Antichrist desert or they leave, they did leave the relationships that were in the church. What did they do? The Bible says in verse 19, they went out from us. You see that? They went out from us. They discontinued an association with. They departed from. They left the church with no intention of return. In fact, the way it's written tells us that they weren't asked to leave. They weren't made to leave. They weren't excommunicated or kicked out or whatever you want to say it. Back where I'm from, they call it churched. They weren't churched. They left on their own. They had an agenda. They had a belief system that the, that the, that the, the other church members there didn't have, and they left on their own. By leave, I don't mean they left for home and then came back the next weekend. Does that make sense? You know, we're about to leave here in a minute, but hopefully I'll see you next week. They left. They left the church. They were finished living in community with that church, with those group of people. F.F. Bruce says this. He says, continuance is the test of reality. It's easy to say you believe something, but remaining in that belief proves you really believe it. Listen, when they came, they were singing what this other group was singing. Jesus was human, but 100% God who died, was buried, and who rose again. They were all singing that song. They were all singing praise the name of the Lord our God, Teddy. But at some point, they figured out Jesus wasn't 100% God. They had a new revelation. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Get a little ahead of myself. It's easy to say that you believe something, but staying with it proves you really do believe it. What was the reason they left? He tells us because they weren't really of us. The key word here is the word of, O-F. They weren't really of us. This word of designates to be like or to think like, even can mean to be in relationship with or to have an affinity with, to love each other. They were of us, John said. They were part of us. Notice in these verses that there are the us and there's the they. I mean, listen, I know this isn't politically correct, but John said something wrong with them. There's us and then there's them. And I know a few weeks ago we had a, a sermon where Pastor Vance said there's not an us and a them, but I will promise you this, he believes this today like we do. There's an us and a them in this passage. He said they went out from us because they were not like us. 
They were different. There were two different sets of people. And the, the, the funny thing is, is that John actually included himself in the us. John said, us, me, me and them, we're together. And what's funny is, is that he didn't even live there. He didn't even go to church there. Here's what he's saying. We all believe the same. We understand this about God and the gospel and what he's taught us and what he's revealed to us. But them, there's a whole other thing going on. The us designated a similarity or a way of thinking that was the same among them. They, the ones who left, said the same at first except for now they say opposite of those who are the us at this moment. They designated those who probably came later than the initial start of the church and though different about something and, and, and thought differently about something and that was taught originally by the Apostle John. Maybe these were people who just came into the church after the church started. They said, yeah, we're all about that. We understand that. We got that. But now there's a whole other thing going on. He said they left because they were not of us. They may have attended with us. They may have broken bread with us. But they're not of us. John says that if they had truly been like us, Jesus followers, they would have not deserted us. Did you hear that? When I was growing up, some of you did too, you were taught this in, in maybe Sunday school or vacation Bible school or your church. They used to teach us this little thing. And they said, here's the church and here's the steeple. Open up the door and there's all the people. That's wrong. The people are the church. This isn't the church. This is the church. Whether we got a building to worship in or air conditioning or, or lights and cameras and action and all that. Listen, we're the church. You see, when they left, they didn't leave a building. They left us. If it's easy for you to leave a church... You weren't part of it. Because this is the church. I'm not saying that people shouldn't leave churches. For I will say, if you're going to have the spirit of the Antichrist, you should. Listen, this was a sad thing for those who had stayed. They were starting to wonder what do we believe? Did we get this wrong? Like the gospel that was taught to us by John and that has been preached and that we've been learning now for these years. Were we just duped into believing something that is not true? I mean, you can imagine, right? You know, when people tell you, well, let me tell you, here's what I think. And they give you like 15 reasons why you're wrong. And you start to go, I mean, you defend it like you're not wrong, but then you go, Pastor Vance, that's what was going on here. These people were discouraged. They were wondering, have we heard the right thing? Have we taught the right thing? John goes on to say, what if they had believed like us or been in relationship? Well, he said they'd still be with us. Listen, I'm telling you, what makes us together and what we know as relationships is what we believe. You think we have baptisms because we like to get wet? There's a picture. I believe what you believe. I love you and you love me and I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. That's the reason for it. 
It shows a death, burial, and resurrection as a picture of him. But it also identifies you with us. You identify with Christ, but you identify with us. And that's a big deal to us. And when you leave, we're not happy. We're not mad. We think you left us. If it's the spirit of the Antichrist, go on. But if you're not, remember, you're part of us. He said when they went out from us, the reason they did was so that we could see that they did not believe like us. Nor were they like us in any way. They weren't close to us. In fact, notice the word so that in that verse. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert says this. He says the purpose clause so that declares the purpose not of the heretics but of God in their departure. The purpose wasn't so they could show them why they left. The purpose was so God would let us see why they left. Does that make sense? God used their departure to lay bare the nature of these heretics. It was decisive truth that they were not all of us. This is a hurtful thing. This doesn't feel good. But he said they deserted you. They left because they were not like you. He said, but you have what you need to fend off the distraction of the untruth. In verse 20, he says, they knew because they had an anointing from the Holy One. He said, you know. You don't have to ask questions about this. You already know what the truth is. I taught you the truth. You know what the gospel is. John says the reason you know is not just because I taught you when I was with you. God lives in you. That's how you know. Listen, we can stand up here and preach all day long, but unless Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit does something in your heart, these are just words. There'll be people who leave today to think I'm crazy. And I am half, kind of. But when it comes to the gospel, I'm right on. I know that sounds arrogant, but you just have to preach truth. The gospel's real, and I didn't come up with it. God did. He lives in me. He identifies with that. Remember, John said, what I taught you. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit who discerns for us what the Word of God tells us. The first characteristic of the Spirit that we see here of the Antichrist is that they desert the church. Those who have the spirit of the Antichrist will show themselves in belief and in love for the family of God. If they can't destroy the church, they're going to desert the church. They will leave. Second, the next characteristic of the spirit of the Antichrist we find in verses 22 through 25. John here recognizes that in the last days there are those who will deny Jesus. Now this is a big deal. Are you listening? Christianity didn't occur so that well, for all the reasons we think it did. Oh, Jesus died so I can go to heaven. No, he died to give you a relationship with him. Heaven's icing on the cake. Heaven isn't the relationship. It just so happens that heaven's where God is, where everything's perfect and right. And the reason that I'm there or will be is because that's where he is. Y'all, listen, I know y'all got a lot of hour less of sleep last night, but y'all got to... Say heaven, somebody needs to... All right, anyway. John starts with strong words. Listen to what he says. This is not politically correct, and I don't think John was trying to be here. He said, who's the liar but the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He doesn't say the one that just told the mistruth, the one that didn't tell the whole truth. He just said, who's the liar? Like, he goes straight for it, Mickey. Who's the liar? Except for the one who says that Jesus is not, is not that denies that Jesus is the Christ. By Christ, we mean the Messiah. Listen, those people have been here from the time Jesus got on the scene. In fact, 
before Jesus showed up as a baby. The king had made a decree that all firstborn should be killed. Do you remember that? Like the devil's been working overtime since the very beginning of this thing. Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's not the one. That, listen, there were two branches of, 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 of people in this church of what was called Gnosticism inside this church there that John was speaking to. And inside these two branches of Gnosticism, Gnosticism meant I can know God. I can get to know God. There's a lot of knowledge that I can gain and I can place it and then I will understand better. But there were actually two branches of this Gnosticism. One of them was a branch that said Jesus is man and could never be God. I believe that he's man, but he could never be God. The other branch was one that said Jesus is man, listen to this, who became God. But then died, excuse me, but then lost it before he died on the cross. Both are wrong. They're both wrong because they're not biblical, either one of them. Jesus is, in fact, God of very God. He was human, but he was also deity. Listen, either belief system that I just mentioned, aside from Christianity, is unbiblical. Their belief caused them to obviously deny Jesus as the Messiah, and that's been happening forever. To deny means this, to state something that's not true. Now, this is also in the voice, in the language that we just read, that says they chose to do it on their own. They weren't prodded to do this. Nobody made them do it. This is what they came up with in their Gnosticism. I'm going to choose willingly and intentionally to deny that Christ is who he says he is. And he answers pointedly to this question that he asked, who's the liar? Here's what he says. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. People would say, you know, Tom, I mean, I've read some history on this stuff, or I've even just looked right here in the Scripture. It doesn't say that they denied God the Father. Says they denied the son. Jesus answers the question. He said, whoever denies the son does not have the father. And whoever confesses the son, guess what? Has the father also. You see, most people in our society, they really don't have a problem with God. But they would say they got a problem with Jesus. Most people that you talk to who have some form of faith, they actually call their God, God. Am I right or am I wrong? And they say stuff like this to us. They say, our God is the same as your God. Really? Let me ask you a question. Does your God have a son named Jesus who died on the cross, went to a grave and rose on the third day? And to boot, has always been and will always be God? You know what their answer always is? No. You know why? Because their God and mine is not the same. Listen, just because somebody says they have faith and they believe there's a God, that has nothing to do with what the Bible talks about in Christianity. Real faith comes through the Father who gave the Son, who lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, went into that grave and came out gloriously on that third day, and someday will return again. There are some faiths that would say that, yeah, there was a man that died on a cross, but it was Judas. That's not what the Bible says. There are some faiths that would say, yeah, he was born as a man, but then he became God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus didn't just exist in the New Testament, but he existed in the Old Testament too. 
Because if he hadn't, he wouldn't be eternal. He existed before the Old Testament. God had to die on the cross for us. Do you hear me? God lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, and then was raised again on the third day. Denying the eternal deity of Jesus has forever been a calling card of cults and world religions. And so he writes his church and he says, let this abide in you, which was from the beginning. In other words, you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? You remember when you got saved? It hadn't changed. That gospel is still the same. It's still the perfect man who died the brutal death, who went in the grave and who came out on the third day. It's not different. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And and then the Word dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten. Jesus is God. He's always been God. He'll always be God. Jesus died for our sin. And listen, only God could do that. He was put in a tomb where his flesh would begin to rot and his bones decay. He wasn't resuscitated, frozen cryogenically, to be unfrozen. Nor did he merely hold his breath to appear dead. He died. Then he rose again to life without any help from mankind. Only God could do that. If he, listen, if this guy was a man that did that, we're all still lost. Do you get what I'm saying? Not only was it predicted this way hundreds of years before it actually happened, he himself predicted the same just days before his death, his burial, his resurrection. His tomb wasn't robbed. He didn't have a plan involving dozens of people helping him from the tomb in a a cover-up. He simply stood up and he walked out. And only God could do that. Jesus was a man, but he was also 100% God. And you know what? He still is. This is what he wanted to tell them. Confessing Jesus is proof of having the Father also. Agreeing with God about who Jesus is is how you have the Father and the Son. And that's opposite of what denying him is. You say, Tom, why are you telling us that today? I mean, most of us in this room, if not all of us, believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That's what they thought. That they all believed that. And it impacted them greatly. When these people left and when they began to deny Christ. And here's what John told them. It has to happen like that. This is not going to go away simply. And just because they're trying to bring something new to you doesn't mean that you are wrong or that we are wrong in what we've been taught. Listen, our culture would love for for you to believe like they believe. Y'all hear me? This isn't popular. I couldn't do this on the street corner without getting bashed. And, oh, Lord Jesus, I would definitely be on the news. (laughs) We've been asked to believe. We've been asked to agree with God about what he knows to be true. Because this is what he said in his word. There is no salvation without Jesus. The Father doesn't overlook, nor can he, any wrong beliefs about Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, I don't know what you believe in this room today about Jesus. He's God. He was man. He died for your sin. Anything opposite of that is a lie. 
And be encouraged, John told his audience. It is Jesus himself who has made this promise to us. What promise? Eternal life. In fact, nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this much. He says, I've given you eternal life. You have eternal life. I will give you eternal life. This was important. You know, there are some scholars, in fact, several, who believe that the, that the Gospel of John was actually written after this book. And the whole reason that was written was because of the schism that was going on in this church. He wanted to write this, this expose, if you will, this, this total comprehension of Jesus' earthly life and his deity as well. The second characteristic of the spirit of the Antichrist is they deny who Jesus truly is. And listen, people say, no, I think the other faiths believe in Jesus. Listen, 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 listen. As the man, they'll tell you he was a man. There's even one who will tell you he became God. That's a lie. He didn't become God. He was God. This matters. This matters. There's a bit of good news, though. Martin Luther once exclaimed, those who teach new doctrine rarely return. The spirit of the Antichrist not only will show themselves through deserting the church and through denial of the deity of Jesus, the last characteristic we see is in verse 26 and 27. In the last days, there are those who try to deceive believers. The last characteristic is deception. They desert, but they don't stop talking. Does that make sense? Like they're still looking back saying, y'all doing it wrong. We may not be here on Sunday with you, but y'all are a bunch of crazies. Listening to what John said about Jesus, this isn't right. They denied who Jesus was, but then they tried to deceive him. The ones who left are trying to deceive you. And listen, this is still going on. Daniel Aiken writes this. He said, they are not content to rush into error by themselves. Their goal is to bring as many as they can along with them. Not only was the, the spirit of the, of the Antichrist to desert the church and deny Jesus, they'll all do, also do their very best to, de- to deceive, listen, you. You know, it's the whole reason that we have a dinner with the pastors and discovering hope. I know y'all think it's just so we can eat a free dinner together, have a good time, get to know each other, do the name tag thing, make sure we're all connected in the right place, and that's all awesome, and those are extra benefits, but the truth is, the whole reason we have it is so we hope to protect you from those people who would want to get in and teach you a new doctrine, a new thing. You can't imagine how feverishly we work at times, making sure that you're okay by the teachers that we put in front of you. That's important because we know as soon as we let go of the, of the rope and you begin to teach whoever you are, we give you the reins to do that and we've given you the training to do that, that it could go off the rails quick. We need you to say what we say, not because we've said it, but because we're teaching what the Bible says. Deceit can be translated as to to mislead somebody. In English, it can also mean to cause somebody to believe something that is not true. They're attempting deception. Deception hadn't taken hold yet, but from John's perspective, perspective in our uh, view biblically today of what those who had left had taught or believed, it was untrue. And here's one of the worst parts, David, is that many times this deception is also couched in the form of self-righteousness. Well, we got the, you know, we're doing our best to help you. We're trying to let you know that you have a crutch and it's called hope, or you have a crutch and it's called your pastor or your small group or whatever that is. 
But the truth is, is that you don't need all that. There's a, listen, there's a better, listen, there's a more intellectual way. And we actually, our flesh actually likes that too. Know that deception launched by the spirit of the Antichrist didn't originate from them, but it originates from the evil one himself. And he says, your best defense is to be sensitive to the, to the deception of the Holy Spirit, uh, excuse me, to the Antichrist is this, the Holy Spirit of God. Combined with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Guess what? The Holy Spirit will help you with that. You say, Tom, I'm not even sure sometimes when I read what I'm reading. That's okay. God will show you what he wants you to know when he wants you to know it. Ask him. My grandfather was illiterate, couldn't read a word. You know what he needed to know? That Jesus lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, and then was resurrected on the third day for him. That's it. Is there more? Of course there's more. I mean, he even goes on to say, you don't need anybody to teach you. He didn't mean that arrogantly. He just meant it's so simple, there's nothing to be added to that. If it changed, I'll let you know. God would let us know this has lasted for year upon year upon thousands of years. You know, I, uh, I'm about to... Take a rabbit trail here, honey, sorry. We have bought in to a, a truth that's, that's a lie. And you know what the truth is? Or, or the lie is? That we're getting smarter as human beings. Well, the farther we go, you know, the smarter we get. We're dumb as bricks. Look at us. Treating each other like we're not even humans anymore. Elevating things God created like they're more important than us. I figured I'd get fewer amens on that one. Listen, we're not getting smarter, we're getting dumber. The smartest people were the first ones that ever lived. We like to make them look bad because we draw pictures of them that make them look stupid. And we call them Neanderthals and cavemen like they don't know what they're doing. They were the smartest people that ever lived. Go read the Bible. They came up with music and, and, and metallurgy when, when, when we weren't even thought of yet. Nobody taught them. They just knew. They were brilliant. Adam and Eve were perfect, even in knowledge. Somehow we believe that we're getting smarter. And, and listen, this whole thing about Christianity, listen, there's a lot of ways to God. There aren't a lot of ways to God. There's one, and I know that sounds exclusive, but if I'm right, you're not all right. If you're right, I'm okay. The Bible says it's Jesus, him alone, that's it. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, that is all we need. They didn't need to be taught opposite anything that was the doctrine that they had already been taught. And we all need to learn new things, but not in that way. The spirit of the Antichrist will always show. This is what John, the, this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to know. Will always show themselves. They'll definitely deny Christ. They will most of the time deceive. And there is a possibility they could also desert you. Saying they loved you and that there's fellowship with you. But there's really, really not. So as we end today, I just want to give you four things as takeaways. Just to kind of wrap this all together. This was a, this was a lot of scripture for us. But here are the takeaways. Number one, understand that everyone who says they're in the kingdom are not. 
I don't even like saying that because it makes me, people think I judge people when I say that. I don't judge people. God does. And this isn't, listen, I don't know who is and who isn't. I'm just telling you everybody's not. I'm no genius up here, okay? I, I can't just pick them out. But I also know this, everybody who says they are or not. Well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean to you? It matters what it means to you. People who don't believe what Jesus was, who Jesus is and has always been will be, uh, as, as both God and man, they're not Christians. I know that sounds so, I know how that sounds, so un-PC, but it's just true. Everyone who says they're in the kingdom are. Number two, remember that you have been taught what you've been taught biblically. The evil one will use a version of truth tainted with a little falsity to deny absolute truth. There will constantly be those who do their best to drag you away from a vibrant walk with God. You know that, right? Remember what you've been taught biblically. It matters. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit to continually teach you to recognize truth. God gave pastors to the church to teach you what the Word of God says. We cannot do anything but that. I wish I could convict you, and I'm telling you, I'm trying right now. But I can't. I can just tell you what it says, and then the Holy Spirit does his job. That's it. But we got to tell you, we have tried hard. We spend hours upon hours. In fact, I, I told the guys before I came out today, I probably spent as much time on this sermon as I have any sermon. I've, I, I probably looked at it too much. And they always told me that was a bad thing. There's so much here. But we do our best to teach you. Listen, but you got to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to interpret for you what this word says. Else it's just word. These are just words and this is just a book. And then last... The Antichrist didn't hear yet, the capital A, but he's coming. He's coming. The spirit of him knows here now, is here now. You say, Tom, at hope? Probably. Every church in America. Because the devil's looking at any way he can to get in, put a foothold in. To make sure he can destroy whatever truth you know. To lie to you, to make it sound good. Because we truly are getting smarter, not dumber, right? We need God. Every word that proceeds out of his mouth. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be aware and be prepared. Be aware and prepared. Listen, be a Berean believer. Ask the questions. Don't be a jerk. Ask the questions without being mean. Okay? But I want to read you a, a quote as we leave today. That hopefully makes sense in this moment. Colin Cruz in his commentary wrote this to try kind of wrap this together. He said, it is certainly true that 1 John highlights the evil schism and doctrinal division, something that is always painful when it occurs in the Christian community. It is also true, listen to this, that Christians can be quite unloving. Does that shock anybody? Unable to recognize the limited scope of their own understanding of the truth. In other words, you ain't right about everything all the time, right? And then sometimes we're unable to see it. And therefore, much too quick to brand others as antichrists. There's a great need for humility in matters about which Christians differ. However, listen to this, at times, 
erroneous teaching, which is plainly at variance with the truth of the gospel, has to be named and its origins exposed. If we cease to teach truth here at Hope, we cease to be a church. If you cease to believe truth that you say you once believed, you never believed it. You know, Jerry, what I love about God, one of the things is that God is so patient. And we can just believe the dumbest things and he'll still love us. It doesn't mean that when we die we're going to be in relationship with him. But he loves us. But he can be so patient that he would let us believe something but keep trying to tell us this is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What are you going to do with that one? Jesus' own words. No man comes to the Father except through me. What a patient God. If you're here today and you don't know him, this is still your opportunity to give your life to Christ. You can be saved today. Believe all those things I just preached about Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit show you, convict you, convince you of that truth. If you're here today and you're a believer, listen, those four things is what I want you to take away. I mean, you may want to pray today, that's fine, whatever you want to do, but here's what I want you to know. This is a safe space, kind of, but I'm telling you, the devil's still at work. These people were in that church and they left that church. And they said they believed certain things, but they did not who Christ really was. And their whole goal was to deceive. And I'm never going to look at somebody in this room and call you out unless you flat out tell me those things about you. Because I just don't know. But I want to be sensitive and I want to be ready. And I want to know the scripture enough to know that the devil's trying to do all that. And he'll do whatever he can to destroy us. Let's hold close to this. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do what he was doing with that church. Put them together. Lord, thank you for your word today. Lord, I don't know why we came to that passage today. I don't know why we're studying this book over these next few months. I don't know, but I do know this. You always have a reason and a way. And I don't have to know what it is, Lord. I just know that you know. God, I pray that if there's the spirit of the Antichrist, not just in this building, but associated with this church, God, you'd root it out and you'd show us what that is, not to demean and to deflect people because they're people, but God, so that we will know that we truly believe you. We don't have to be discouraged, but can be encouraged as we walk with you. God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, I pray that they give their life to Christ today. We're going to have pastors at the end of these aisles and all, that, all you got to say when you walk down is, I need Jesus. And we're going to send you out with somebody to show you how today your life can be changed forever. Lord, thank you for your word. We need it. It shapes us. Have your way today in us. We pray this in Jesus' name.